morning. Happy Christmas to you all. It's lovely to get the Christmas treatment musically. Um, since we won't have a nine o'clock Christmas Eve service or Christmas morning service, so um, I'll use this time to encourage you, if you'd like, the three o'clock and the five o'clock service uh, this Saturday. Um, It'll be a wonderful treat, and then Jeff Falkowski will be preaching Christmas morning at, I think, 10.30, but double-check with that online or somewhere, wherever you receive those things. Maybe you'll get an email. Don't ignore it. Pay attention, because it was 11 o'clock, and then they changed it, and now I've confused you. So when people come in at 11, we'll know which service you were at on the 18th. Uh, the reading this morning comes to us from Mark's Gospel in chapter 4 as we continue our series. This is uh, page 997 in your uh, ESV Pew Bible, if you've got that in front of you. Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. 
Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is one of the most difficult passages in Scripture, even with interpretation. And so, Lord, we are pleading that you would minister to us this morning in helping us to see with clarity what it is that the Lord Jesus is teaching here. Father, that we would have these hearts of the good soil that we can see and perceive and hear and understand by the power of your Holy Spirit and that we would not be those who see and do not understand and hear and do not comprehend. So, Father, give us these hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a lot of sermons have been preached on this particular passage, the sometimes called the, the, the parable of the sower. Other times it is called the parable of the seed, and yet other times it's called the parable of the soil. And the question is, where is the emphasis placed in this particular passage? If the sermon is focused on the sower, then the emphasis is on God and his work in redemptive history. If the sermon is focused on the seed, then then the emphasis is on the word of God and, and, and how it is spread. If the sermon is focused on the soil, then the emphasis is on the hearts of the recipients of the word. And typically a text has one major point. It's not allegory where there are uh, multiple points for every issue that comes up, where, where everything is uh, symbolically represented and then, and then parsed out. But based on Jesus' explanation of the parable, there seem to be multiple points. So what's happening here in these verses? And what do we need to know? There are three distinct sections. Verses 3 through 9 is the parable itself. Then verses 10 through 13 is the key to understanding. And finally, verses 14 through 20 is the interpretation. Now, it's very important that we understand that Jesus begins the parable with this imperative. It is a command where Jesus says, listen, hear. It's a strong exhortation to those that are listening to his teaching, to to the massive crowds that are are gathered on the shore as he stands out in a in a small boat, and, and, and surely the, the amplification of sound that's taking place there. I've, I've heard stories of people that have actually gone to this area of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, a man said, I sent one of the people from his group, and he said, I want you to go down there by the water and just speak in a normal conversational voice. 
And there was a big group gathered together there on the, on the shoreline listening, and, and, and they could hear him with such clarity. Uh, unbelievable, the, 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 the use of the surroundings, that they didn't have to use modern technology and microphones and bullhorns and all that sort of thing, but, but that the natural uh, 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 layout of the land was being used for this amplification and being taught to the masses, to, to a, a wide variety of people who would have been in each one of those soils. And he's telling them to, to listen to the teaching, not just to have a, a sound reverberate in their ears, but to hear well, to hear clearly. It's as if he was saying, make sure that your ear is attached to your heart. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some, fell, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. So the parable begins with these two emphases. It is the hearing. It is the, not just the hearing again in the ear, but it's the receptivity. Hear this and receive this. So what does the parable represent the parable represents the historical inbreaking of God's kingdom in Jesus, the sower of the gospel. It's partially what, we, what we're celebrating at Christmas, right? It's the advent. It is the coming of the Christ, the, the, the fulfillment of, of, of what had been longed for, that, that the Messiah was coming. And there's so much lack of clarity on who Messiah would be, what he would look like, what he would be like. You know, is he going to be like a general? Is he going to be like a, a, a politician? Is he going to be like a, you know, what will he look like? We, we know he's going to be great, but what will he be like? And, and here comes Jesus, who has nowhere to lay his head. And he's born into poverty. And he has no, he's of course of the royal line of David, but he's not born like a king or a prince. And so here he is, and he's got this preaching ministry that started, and, and, and people are beginning to follow him, but he, he's not lining up exactly with the way that we anticipate the Messiah to be. We also know that from the interpretation that Jesus gives, that, that, that the seed that's used here is the Word of God, is the Gospel. It, it's what Jesus has begun to teach in His ministry so that we see that the Word is, is, is cast about in our description that we're reading about. It. It's just sort of strewn about. It's, it's, it's indiscriminately thrown among the field. We see that in the way that Jesus has been teaching to all who have ears. He teaches while the scribes are gathered there together. He, he, he teaches while the, the, the large crowds are gathered there together. Those who are looking for help and miracles and, and demons being cast out and, and, and those that are uh, sick. He teaches even while his own family is around, who we just saw last week, don't understand him. 
He's teaching while his disciples are around. Anyone who is around is the recipient of the word. The word is not the mystery or the secret of the kingdom. Jesus sees the gospel as a message that that must be proclaimed to all people. And, And we may not view some people as worthy of hearing God's word and other people as unworthy. We, we are not the ones who play God with, with his own message. We are not to be like Jonah who gets to think he, he can decide who is a recipient, who is a hearer, who, who gets to hear this good news and who doesn't. That's not for us to decide. But at the same time, we are not to be worried about whether the hearers have hearts that are inclined to respond in faith. God, not us, prepares the hearts of people to receive the gospel. And he alone is the one who grants faith. Well, then we come to the key of the passage. Jesus explains the purpose of parables. Were they to simplify complicated truths? Were they to help everyone see the point that he is making? He says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Why is Jesus... What is he saying here? Is he saying that he speaks in parables to make sure that some people won't hear the truth of the kingdom? Yes. Now, to some degree, we we all understand that, don't we? The, The Bible often talks about having ears to hear. Not everyone who hears the gospel will really, truly hear the gospel. We've seen that in people that we know and love and care for. The Apostle Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Only those who have ears to hear will be able to understand the power of the story. But that doesn't make this statement any easier to accept. We, we, can, we can hear that and think this is unfair. Why would Jesus say things in such a way as to hide it from those who need it? We see in verse 12 that Jesus quotes something. And so we have to ask, what is, what is he quoting here? And it's a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. What's happening in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah 6 is this great passage of Isaiah who's caught up in this vision and God has forgiven his sin and he's, he's sending him out to, to preach to the hard-hearted people of Israel. Isaiah's prophetic mission is to tell his generation that they won't listen to God because they, they haven't been listening to him. Their fate is sealed. This is about election. This is why this is one of the most difficult passages to get through. Right? So all people are outside of the kingdom of God until they encounter the, the teaching 
when they encounter the teaching of the Lord, and yet some will believe and, and they are insiders, though they were once outsiders, showing that ultimately they, were, they have always been insiders in, in God's sovereign plan of election. And then there are others who are outsiders, and their response to the message that comes proves that they were outsiders. And so the, the, the seed that is sown is effective in its purposes. But before the elect person is tempted to feel boastful or, or, or prideful about election, Jesus, is, Jesus teaches the interpretation of the parable. And so we come to our third point, the interpretation. Again, it is, it is God who, who ultimately distributes His Word into the world. Now, again, in, in thinking about this imagery, you, you may wonder about the efficiency of God and how He distributes His Word. It, 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 in the passage, it appears that He's just throwing it around haphazardly, just walking around chucking seed out randomly. It's on the rocks. It's on the path. You might wonder... Is he blind or has he not been trained on how to do this? You know, he's throwing it where the birds are, you know, knowing that they're probably going to eat it. What? What is he doing? What is wrong with God that his seed is distributed so inaccurately? Why is he wasting seed by throwing it at rocks and throwing it into thorns where, of course, it won't survive or on the street or near the birds? Farmers are typically very careful. They plow carefully in neat little rows. They plant carefully. Not this farmer. What kind of farming is this? Well, this is actually typical farming practice for this area during those days. That's why parables are used, right? It's to illustrate a point, and they would have all been going, yeah. In fact, some people think that there may have been a, a, a farmer who was farming along while Jesus was telling the parable and almost sort of drawing the illustration. See how he scatters his seed? And so they would just throw their seed around, and then the way they would plow, they would just grab a, a stick with a sharp point at the end and sort of drag it along behind just to put some soil on top. The point being, when God sows his seed, which is his word, it is spread indiscriminately. He does display pearls before swine. God does give his word to people who have no interest in it, who have no use for it, who are hostile to it. So hostile to it that it seems as though God or his word in this case is being wasted. Also remember, it was God's choice to use his word as the means to save his people. He empowers that word, that, that, that word that carries with it salvation. And we know that this word is promised by God the sower, that it will not return to him void. So one of the points of the parable 
is that when God sends his word, what he wants to accomplish in the preaching of his word is accomplished. In the ancient world, a good harvest of land would have been to, ref- would have been to get the return of tenfold of your fruit. Fruit compared to seed distributed. The, the, the ratio. When God is the sower with his seed, the harvest that he brings is 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So we cannot look at the sower here as someone who's just operating haphazardly, carelessly, thoughtlessly, where his plan is completely destroyed and we feel bad for him, where his plan is destroyed by by the obstacles that appear, that that, that spring up, that, that come to stop his work. God's sowing is sovereign and it brings to pass what he intends. Now we of course understand that it is God who is the ultimately the sower of the seed, that it is Christ. But he also uses his people to sow the seed as we saw a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 3. When he chooses the twelve and he takes them up to the mountain, do you remember what he said? He says that that they will be those who will preach the word, that they, they will counter the enemy, they will stand against Satan, but they are also the preachers of the word. They are sowers of the seed. So what are these soils here? The parable talks about the seed that the birds come and eat before it even has an opportunity to grow. The birds are likened to Satan snatching it away before it hits the earth. And anyone who's ever scattered seed and seen birds and other animals come and and take the seed have seen, in some sense, the work of Satan taking place. And I'm sure if you've ever tried to plant a garden and you've had birds come, you've seen that demonic work taking place. And you try and exercise those demons with your pellet gun. But this seed has no chance to take root. Consider the the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus had to deal with throughout much of his ministry. They're not listening. They have no intention of listening. They don't even think about considering his words other than reading it through a, a, a lens that, that, that is against him, that hates him. And so in, rather than listen and allow that word to be received... And to penetrate the heart, to make the connection from the ear to the heart, as we talked about. Rather, they seek to snuff out the word. They want to snuff out the message. And they want to snuff out Christ himself, as we just saw a chapter ago. The seed that falls on the rocky soil, Jesus says, are those who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This appears to be 
the person who makes a, a, a spurious conversion. It's, it's, a, it's a quick response. You know, the, the, the preacher preaches a message and, 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 and people come forward and they're added to the numbers of people that came forward. And they perhaps are in tears or they're feeling great joy over what they've just heard. And then the next day, it's as if, as if nothing had happened. Nothing was actually received. There was the appearance of it. I think of friends of mine from high school, friends who, who went to this church, friends who made a profession of faith, friends who went to private Christian schools. They went to youth group. Then they went off to college, and they have not darkened a church door since then. People who show some form of growth, but, but it never takes root. Then he says, some seed grew among thorns, and the thorns choked out the plant. Again, a, a, sadly, a, a spurious conversion of someone who makes the profession of faith but gets caught up by what the world has to offer. Money, fame, popularity, lust, it doesn't matter what it is, it's, it's that the world pulls them back in. Demas, who was in love with the world, has abandoned us, is essentially what Paul says. What they have professed is choked out. It never takes root. We need to understand that no one is ever justified by a profession of faith. We must possess that faith in order to be justified. That seed has to take root in our hearts if we are to enter the kingdom of God. A superficial profession of faith is no sign of true redemption. One of the problematic doctrines that has come into the evangelical church is this idea of the carnal Christian. You may have heard this term. It's typically defined as a person who is truly redeemed, but, when, but, but that the life of that person never really brings forth any fruit. Even though they are saved, they are still altogether completely carnal. And we can't confuse that with what the New Testament teaches about uh, uh, the truly converted person who wars against the, their flesh all the rest of their life. But there is no such thing as the Christian who is totally carnal. It is a contradiction of terms. Why does that doctrine emerge? Well, I, I think partially because of uh, the, the movement of, of big tent revivalism. It's the, the evangelists who cannot stand to admit the idea that they are dealing with those who will make false professions and, and often do. They, they see people who make the profession and have no change in their life and they add it to the roles, they add it to the list, they add it to the numbers we see it in the insider movement, for those of you who are familiar with that, in, in, in uh, parts of the world, particularly the Middle East, where these organizations are, have massive amounts of money and funding behind them. 
And so they're feeling like they need to get their numbers up. And so what do they do? They go and they tell people. They say, well, you know, you can actually still worship Muhammad and, and pray to Allah, uh, but just, you know, maybe say a prayer to Jesus when you're in the mosque. And, and don't change the way you look and don't change the way you act or behave and don't draw any attention to yourself. Don't, don't act any differently. This is completely against what Scripture teaches. But these things are done for an inflation of numbers. But they are just carnal Christians. And it gives people this false sense of hope that they are saved when, when, when many of them may very well not be. So if this were to be called the parable of the soils, we would have to understand that the only ones who bring forth fruit, the harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, are those where the seed falls on good soil. And this is where we need to be extremely careful. Because you could say the seed won't take root unless the person who receives that seed is a good person. I am a Christian because I believe the word. And the reason I believe the word is because I am a good man. If that is how I think, then I have never really received the word at all. I haven't understood grace I haven't understood the depravity of man. I haven't understood any of these things. That is not the point of this parable. What makes the soil good soil? It, it takes us back to the question we hear all the time in theology. Why does one person receive the word of God in their heart and another doesn't? One is working in a field. Two are working in a field, one is taken up and another is left behind. A family, you know, this is, these are the illustrations that Jesus gives. There, there, there's these points of separation and that's what this parable is. But, but why is it that one receives and another doesn't? It's because there is something more righteous. Is it because there is something more righteous in one person than the other? Than the person who rejects it? Is that what it is? Is that what the difference is? You are righteous, you are unrighteous. Of course, it was an obvious choice for God. That, sadly, is the majority view of, of most people. Some people believe that they are Christians because that out of their own will, they made the right decision. They embraced Christ. Whereas their friends hardened their hearts and, and turned away and did not use their will to embrace the gospel, and that person has something with which they can boast, something with which they can boast eternally. I made a good choice. I made the right decision. Now, Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 6, nobody can come to him unless he is given to him. Paul emphasizes this in his letter to the Ephesians when he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And none of this is from you, lest anybody should boast. It is a gift of God. 
What makes the soil good is the immediate supernatural work on the soul by God the Holy Spirit. The only people who ever embrace the Word of God are those who have been first changed by the Holy Spirit to receive the Word of God. That means that your regeneration comes before your faith. The Holy Spirit has to change your hearts before you will ever say yes to Jesus. And that is the power of the sower. Because the sower prepares the soil to receive the seed. Salvation belongs to Him and Him alone. And to Him alone belongs the glory. This is hard to understand. But if you have ears to hear, you will hear it. God accomplishes what He sets out. He uses those of us He has sovereignly placed on good soil to preach that word, to sow that seed. And on and on and on and on it goes. Whether that seed sowing is your your own family, your children, your relatives, or it's the community that you live in, the people that God has put you around. Because it is ultimately the sower who reaps the harvest. The ultimate sower reaps the harvest. This is the 30, the 60, the 100 fold come in and they are ushered into the kingdom by his sovereign purposes. So the question to today is do you hear? That is the command that is given. Listen, hear. For the true hearer hears it, accepts it, and bears fruit. Let us pray. Father, even in the complexity of what we have just discussed, there is somehow simplicity. So the question rests on our hearts, am I a hearer of this word? Because in being a hearer, there's a connection from my ear to my heart, and, and, and there's purpose for which I am set out. And if I'm a hearer of that word, then I am a doer of that word, as James tells us. Because that seed has so penetrated into my heart that I cannot help but seek to bring forth a harvest. And yet I don't have to feel fearful about that because you're ultimately the good sower. You are ultimately the one who will bring in the harvest. And yet the joy for us is that we get to rest in that, in the confidence of that. And so we are able to sow seed indiscriminately to all who will hear and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in the drawing in of those who need to hear, in the drawing in of those who were predestined for the harvest. 
so we may not fully understand all the theological nuances of a passage such as this. But we do know when we are hearers, receptive hearers of something. So, Father, may this gospel message go into our hearts and go out of our mouths. As we think about this season when we are gathered together as families, as Matt had prayed, there's strife, there's discord, and yet you have given us a gospel of peace. So let us seek peace. And where there is hardness of hearts, let us sow the seed of love that the gospel would be made clear to those that we are around, that we've gathered around, that you have sovereignly put us around. Father, that you would use us for these purposes, that we would rest in that good work you have for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.